electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, where in the world is Jack Ma? The Alibaba co-founder and Chinese tech celebrity has been missing from the public eye for two months. China Beige Book CEO Leland Miller. Jack has got an enormous number of people who really dislike him inside the Chinese banking system. This has been a tension, not for months, but for years. Predictions for 2021. A long-standing squawk tradition with Blackstone's Byron Wien. What the market forecaster says the new year has in store. We're going to have a correction in the first half, and we're probably beginning it now. And so much for finding a haven. The J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway, and Amazon healthcare venture will be no more. Jamie Dimon, Warren Buffett, and Jeff Bezos saying, forget it, we can't fix this problem. Then, yeah. It's Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And we're going to start with the markets this morning because, uh, yeah, if you were watching yesterday, that was really something to see. Stocks actually dropped to, to kick off the new year. The Dow was down by 382 points at the end of the session. And that was the good news because at one point during the session, we were off by more than 700 points. So again, something to watch as we got into that final hour of trading, things firmed up a little bit. Dow ended down only by about one and a quarter percent. And then you had the S&P and the NASDAQ down by about one and a half percent. Rough start for the futures, uh, for, the future, for the markets yesterday. It was the worst start that we've seen since uh, 2016 for the three major averages. If you're taking a look this morning, though, things have firmed up. Uh, Dow futures up by about 54 points. That's not a massive bounce back, but at least uh, it's not in the red once again. So things stabilizing. S&P futures uh, up by about seven, and then the NASDAQ up by close to 20 points. The NYSE deciding to cancel its plans to delist shares of Chinese telecom giants only days after first announcing that move. Shares of China Telecom, China Mobile, and China Unicom are rallying in Hong Kong. Eunice Yoon joins us. She's got more on this front. And, and Eunice, they said pretty obliquely that they talked to regulators and said, never mind. I guess uh, people there and here are reading a lot more into this. Yeah, absolutely. Here it's being interpreted as a way for the NYSE to be able to stay in China's good books and potentially preserve itself as an attractive place for Chinese companies to list. So you mentioned the statement late on Monday. Uh, the exchange said it made the change in light of further consultation with relevant regulatory authorities in connection with the Office of Foreign Assets Control at the U.S. Treasury. So this is being understood to mean that the exchange doesn't necessarily have to go so far as to delist Chinese companies that potentially could have a, a links to the Chinese military, even if U.S. investors cannot buy them. So immediately after this decision, the state media here was crowing about it. And then we saw the, the shares in China Unicom, China Mobile, and China Telecom rally in Hong Kong. All three companies uh, said that they noted the change. What was interesting, though, was the official reaction. And that is that the foreign ministry was much more muted, uh, cautiously saying that the U.S. needed to continue to respect the rule of law 
and the market. And I think that it really shows that there's still such a lack of clarity around uh, the staying power of these Trump administration executive orders, especially into the Biden administration. Becky? Eunice, thank you. Good to see you. Eunice Yoon. This development between Chinese tech companies and the U.S. is only part of the larger tech story in China. Late in 2020, China joined the U.S. and Europe in a global big tech reckoning when it released a series of proposals to rein in the Chinese fintech sector, new rules on how online leaders could operate. And the government increased scrutiny on players like Tencent and JD.com in an effort to curb anti-competitive behavior. Then, China effectively blocked what would have become the largest IPO ever, a public listing of the Chinese fintech Ant Group. Shortly thereafter, China's markets regulator opened an antitrust probe into e-commerce giant Alibaba, Ant Group's largest shareholder and one of the most valuable tech firms in the world. Amid all this, Chinese officials had met with Jack Ma co-founder of Ant Group and co-founder and former chairman of Alibaba. He's still one of the company's largest shareholders. He's China's biggest business celebrity and richest tech tycoon. He's regarded globally as a symbol of China's success. And up until recently, he was a pretty visible character, even starring as a judge on a popular reality show. But Jack Ma hasn't been seen publicly in two months. And we're all starting to wonder where he's gone. Back in October, at a financial forum in Shanghai, Ma spoke out against Chinese regulators, claiming their conservative approach was hindering innovation. He envisions a different financial system for China, but global onlookers are growing more and more concerned that the Chinese Communist Party would rather those visions remain unrealized. Here's Becky Quick. Joining us right now is Leland Miller, China Beige Book International CEO. And Leland, obviously, it's just speculation at this point, but it does come after some clearly heightened tensions between Jack Ma, Alibaba, and Chinese regulators. Yeah, I mean, the, the question right now is whether Jack is, is managing a very low profile for his own good or whether he's been brought into a dark room and is having new terms of Alibaba dictated to him. And nobody knows, nobody will know until, until the government comes out with a statement. Uh, but I think right now, you know, Jack is just sort of muttering himself, oops. And it's oops on some of the things he's done in recent months in terms of antagonizing government regulators. But this is something, the, the Alibaba ecosystem has been something that has been antagonizing state banks and the state-run uh, financial system for years and years. So it's uh, it's not altogether surprising that he's, he's become under uh, more pressure right now and he has a target on his back uh, now that he's become politically vulnerable. You, you're not talking about the retail side of Alibaba. You're talking about the, the financial side, what they've been doing. And, and why don't you explain that a little bit to people, why it's such a threat to the Chinese banking system? Yeah, you know, this is a point that uh, that I made years ago when Alibaba I was CNBC's guest commentator for the Alibaba IPO in 2014. And everyone was talking about how spectacular this company is. And, and it's true. It's a spectacular, innovative company. Uh, but the issue is that Alibaba is not one company. It's actually two companies. Uh, it is a retail firm, which is a, a Chinese national champion. I think that's what people think of when they when they think of Alibaba most of the time. But it's also a giant financial firm. And it has been innovating behind the scenes of Chinese finance uh, for years, whether it's uh, online mutual funds, whether it's e-payments. These are systems that have been beating the tar out of the state banking system. Uh, Alibaba for a while was, was allowed through Yuebao, it's, it's, its mutual fund, to, to offer these very, you know, very high rates where the state banking system couldn't. And, and over time, you know, in China Beige Book, you can see that there's been migration, deposit flight from the state banks over to the Alibaba system. So 
Jack has got an enormous number of people who really dislike him with inside the Chinese banking system. And this is a problem that happens and then Beijing would step in and they'd regulate the Alibaba or they'd force them to bring the rates down. But this has been a tension, not for months, but for years. So so this is this is Jack finding himself vulnerable and having a lot of enemies on the inside. Leland, just in terms of, of what that means for the Chinese population, I mean, it's, it's a good thing. It's, it's helped so many people in China who wouldn't have been able to get loans otherwise, wouldn't have been able to do some of those things. So I, I have a hard time thinking that that in itself has been the biggest problem or why the Communist Party might crack down on him. Um, but, you know, some of the things that he said very recently have been in, incredibly antagonistic just in terms of things you're not allowed to say in China that he has said. Right. And, and one rule is you don't antagonize the Chinese Communist Party and, and expect good things to happen. Uh, but, but look, you know, while what Alibaba has been doing has been innovative, it's been good for Chinese consumers and households and, and the Chinese economy. Keep in mind the, the, the vested interests that are affected by this. You have these, you know, the technocrats, you have the bureaucrats, you have the bankers who have watched their, their fiefdom become less and less important over time. And so even if this is good for China writ large, this is a real question mark to where the banking system falls in this new world order. You know, if Jack had his way, he would sort of sweep the banking system aside and replace it. So it may be good for China, but it's not good for a lot of party people who are in <laughs> the top of the power chain, which means that, you know, Jack better tread carefully at this point. You know, it's raised a lot of questions about what this means for international companies trying to do business in China, whether they be tech companies or, or something else. But we also have at the same time the MISE announcing that it is not going to move forward with its plans to delist those three Chinese companies. It says it did this after having discussions with regulators. But you've got to think it's it's got more to do with who's going to be in the Oval Office come January 20th, a Biden administration versus a Trump administration. What what does this set up for just in terms of the U.S. relationship with with China? Yeah, look, I don't think Biden particularly wants to touch this issue, so he's keeping his hands off it. But this is really about inattention by the Trump team. I mean, they put a rule in place and then they sort of went off and 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 paid no attention. You know, uh, certain certain agencies like Treasury behind the scenes, you know, hoping to weaken this, and 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 that's what they did. And so, if you don't, if you put out a bunch of rules and then you don't follow through on them, you're going to have uh, a lot of questions over how they should be interpreted. And at this point, there's so little clarity on what the administration was asking for and what the executive orders called for and, and what executive orders might be in the pipeline, that these, uh, that NYSE and, 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 a, and a bunch of other, uh, uh, you know, financial entities basically said, we don't understand what's going on here and we're not going to implement them. And they got soft backing behind the scenes from Treasury not to implement them. And so here you are, everything is sort of falling apart uh, in terms of some of these latest Trump moves in, 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 the, in the last days of the Trump administration. So bring that back to what investors might be looking for. Is this a situation where manufacturing companies, anybody who's making things that they're selling uh, either from China or to China, how is this going to play out? Do you have any ideas? I think that the Biden administration is going to come in with severe restraints in terms of what they can do. They they want to use what political chits they have on domestic issues. They you know they know that Biden has had years and years and years of being called weak on China on, uh, when he was vice president, and so they're not going to be able to do any heavy lifting on the China side, particularly in the early days. So I think that from from this standpoint, 
Uh, Biden wants to sort of, uh, he won't be able to pull anything back. He doesn't want to do a whole lot, uh, you know, and, and so, um, you know, you're going to be on a glide path uh, at least until he gets most of his staff in, you know, three to six months from now. Uh, but in terms of investment with China, this really has to play out. The Chinese are certainly going to come in and, and, and try to have a honeymoon period with the Biden administration, promising all kinds of climate goodies. The question is, who are the policymakers that are going to be in charge of China policy for, 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 for the Biden administration? And are they going to have authority within his realm in order to push back? Congress will certainly be at their backs. But but this is some this is these are issues, these China issues that I think Biden would like to ignore for as long as possible in his first six months. There are a lot of China hawks in, in Congress that, that would probably make that a pretty difficult task. What, what should we be watching? What are the key points or the key events? Well, a lot of it has to do whether, with whether COVID continues to, to suck all the oxygen out of the room. You know, COVID will be will be issue number one. But you're right on Congress. Uh, you're going to have a you know uh, you have some very fiery Republicans. You also have some fiery Democrats who who are who are who are quite animated on the China issue. There's a bipartisan uh, agreement right now that China needs to be dealt with uh, rather uh, in a rather tough fashion. So I think that you're going to have a lot of pressure from Congress, which is why I think Biden wants to have nothing to do with it. He's going to let sort of the, some a lot of some of the Trump stuff glide. He's going to want to avoid the issue as much as possible. It's going to become harder and harder as the Beijing Olympics comes into sight. Uh, you know, a year and a half from now, uh, there is going to be a lot of push, both domestically and internationally, to boycott the Olympics. Uh, uh, you know, a, a, a year plus from now, and this is going to become an extremely hot topic. Not yet, but later this year. And so, I think he's got a pass for at least a few months. But later this year, it, I think it's going to get a lot, lot, lot tougher on uh, the, the environment on China again. I can't believe the Olympics in Beijing are only a year and a half or so away. Leland, it's good to talk to you. We will see you soon. Next on Squawk Pod, Blackstone's Byron Wien on his 36th year of predictions with the 10 surprises of 2021. And it didn't come easy. You can't believe how much anguish and energy goes into these things. Back after this. This is Squawk Pod, and it is a new year, a clean slate, sort of, a time to look ahead to what may surprise us in 2021. The hangover of 2020 could stick with us for a while, but today, a Squawk Box January tradition. Blackstone's Byron Wien, a man who has been forecasting New Year's surprise market moves and other possible headlines since 1986. Byron defines a surprise as an event that the average investor would only assign a one in three chance of taking place, but which they believe is probable. That is to say, it has a better than 50% likelihood of actually happening. So yes, Byron Wien did join us one year ago to offer possible surprises in 2020. And the global pandemic of a novel virus, it didn't make the list. One year ago, Wien predicted that inequality and climate change would be key issues driving the presidential election. And he saw a Democratic takeover of the Senate in his crystal ball. The forecasting game, it is not easy. For more about what might happen in 2021, here's Joe Kernan. Byron joins us now. He's vice chairman of Blackstone Private Wealth Solutions. Normally we'd go back and say, I don't know, Byron, you missed this or you missed that. I don't even want to talk about 2020. I, I don't, I, it just, it, it's so black swanish and out of the realm of anything that, that, that was predicted that let's just, let's just forget about it and do this year's. And, and I know you do this. I know that Joe Zidle sidled up to you and, and now he's got, it looks like his influence is here because some of these uh, 
predictions this year are kind they're not as surprising as some that you've made in the past. I, I, a lot of these, I, I think, are almost, you know, and you know how you like to surprise us? They're, they're kind of what I would think might, might happen. Well, that's, that's encouraging to hear. Uh, but I, I don't know that too many people think the market could be down to close to 20% in the first half and still close at 4,500. I think that's, that would be pretty much of a surprise. Most people don't think the 10-year Treasury is going to go to a 2% yield. No, most people don't believe that uh, both the Fed and uh, the Treasury will embrace monetary, modern monetary theory. I think we already um, have. Yeah, they have. On a de facto basis, they have. Um, so, uh, you know, I think there's some legitimate surprises there. But you're right, um, uh, about seven of them are in the direction of the consensus, just more extreme. But there are three that are really um, uh, surprises. Uh, the China surprise, uh, having a favorable relationship with China, that's certainly one. That's a loaded um, one. Hey, wait a minute. That's a loaded one with, <laughs> with, Vice yeah. President, with, with President Biden. Of course he's going to. I mean, China's done a lot for the Bidens. Come on, Byron. Of course he's going to have a market. You know, if he achieved it, that would be a surprise. No, I know. I'm and, kidding. Uh, the Justice Department uh, pulling back on uh, uh, trying to break up um, uh, uh, Google and Facebook, that would be a big surprise. And uh, the dollar being strong rather than weak would be a big surprise. That's true. So, yeah. so those are three uh, clear surprises, and the others are more extreme. So I'm pretty comfortable that uh, they're not in the that for one reason or another they're not in the consensus. The uh, the dollar. See, okay. So you got that the U.S. economy and the financial markets are going to uh, become very attractive again post vaccine. So that would be a strong economy would would bolster the dollar, obviously. But but one of the the things that we worry about is that a lot of the markets across the board reflect the notion that we will be coming back. And it's already in uh, a lot of the markets, right? That's why, that's why we're going to have a correction in the first half. And we're probably beginning it now. I want to look at some of your, uh, your ones that don't make uh, the top 10, because those are always, those are the ones that, that might be kind of wacky. Uh, but that you don't really feel quite as strongly about. How, what, so you think Tesla, well, that, if, if we say Tesla, people just turn on the TV set and say Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. It's almost like uh, <laughs> you know, something in the old days. But what do you think Tesla might do? It might acquire a major automobile uh, company with cash and stock and pledge to um, stop making automobiles with internal combustion engines by the end of this decade. The, uh, this is a good one. So you, you talked about Trump TV. Uh, so not only right. do you talk about Trump TV, <laughs> this is wild. So Trump might invite Kim Jong-un on uh, like the guest host, Trump TV? No, just as a guest. No, just, not you the know, guest it, host. Right. And, um, and Trump would interview. But before Kim goes on, he says he has a long-range uh, intercontinental ballistic missile armed with a nuclear warhead uh, that is capable of reaching Los Angeles. And Trump spends the program trying to convince him not to test it. 
and he and Kim agrees that he won't test it. And Trump looks at the camera and says, um, I'm the best negotiator of all time. Okay, we'll be watching for that. Um, remember the, the news cycle in the past year, Byron, you, you could have predicted that it would become less than 24 hours. That would have been a good prediction. But remember the cyber attack? I mean, wasn't that last, when was that? I mean, how quickly did we get off that? Um, but your, uh, one of your predictions is that could get, and that's probably likely, that could get worse next year. What could, what could we possibly, this year, sorry, what could we possibly see? Um, we originally had a cyber attack in the, origi- in the 10 surprises for 2021. But it isn't a surprise anymore. It's a news item. Um, so that's why it wasn't included in the list. What's 40? I didn't do the math on that. So you said 20% pullback. So that would put us in, that would count as a bear market and that'd be a new bull market. Well, not quite. I don't think we'll get quite to a bear market, sort of like last year. Uh, we'll get almost there, but not quite there. The uh, I want to get to, to all these because they're pretty interesting. So the Justice Department, in terms of big tech, uh, regardless of what happens in Georgia today, the, there will be a softening in, uh, in the regulation, the regulatory cases against Google and Facebook this year. Why? Because the public really benefits from these companies. You know, and there's no evidence um, that, that in any way in terms of pricing or service, the public is disadvantaged by these companies being the size they are. And so I don't know what's going to be accomplished by breaking them up. The same thing kind of happened uh, with IBM and Apple uh, and Microsoft earlier. uh, And um, the, the Justice Department says, what are we trying to accomplish here? Because the companies themselves are going to resist being broken up. I'm not saying they won't have increased surveillance, uh, some restrictions, and so forth, but I don't think they'll be broken up. All right, and I like this last one. So you already said Tesla might buy a big uh, automaker and shut down the internal combustion manufacturer uh, of those types of cars, yet you think energy stocks could be the best performers in, in of the year because industrial activity and mobility increases as we, as we reopen. So we see $65 oil. Right. Uh, that's this year. The, uh, the Tesla one is for the decade. I think uh, by the end of the decade, we may be using less uh, energy. Uh, but this year, I think the demand for oil is going to increase. Right. You got one that you thought, we got to go, but you got one that you thought of that even you would be too embarrassed uh, to put down, but you can whisper it to me, and I, w- I won't tell anyone um, what it is. You got anything really crazy, really outlandish? We would have worked last year, right? Well, you, you can't believe how much uh, anguish and energy goes into these things. Uh, I don't, I'm really uh, bone dry in terms right. of... Right. I well, did. Did, did Zydel do anything? Did Joe do anything? Or this is still, uh, you did the yeah. heavy lifting. Joe huh? was my partner every step of the way. Oh, okay. Um, and eventually, when I'm no longer around, Joe will be carrying on the tradition. Well, I don't see that happening anytime soon. All right, Byron, uh, it's, it's great to see you. And we'll see you again during the year for, for some updates on this stuff. Thanks. 
Coming up on Squawk Pod, an all-star healthcare hope closing. Healthcare is hard. It's hard to solve healthcare. I don't care if you're Warren Buffett, Jeff, but I just hope it's not that, you know what? We lost a couple million dollars here. We better shut this down. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Haven, the joint healthcare venture between three of America's most powerful companies, Amazon, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Berkshire Hathaway, is disbanding after just three years. High-profile CEOs Jeff Bezos, Jamie Dimon, and Warren Buffett had teamed up to tackle one of corporate America's thorniest problems, the high and rising cost of employee healthcare. And the initial announcement of this partnership was dramatic. Shares of other healthcare companies tumbled on fears about how these leaders might find a way to make it all less expensive and more efficient. In June 2018, Becky Quick spoke to Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon about their shared goals. There are a lot of ideas out there. There are a lot of things that can be done better. We know the fraud, the administrative costs. We know overuse and underuse of, of, uh, of various uh, drugs and specialized procedures. We know the end of life is often costs far more than it should and is far more painful than it should be. Uh, so there's so many, and, and with big data, there's so many things to do. But the goal is better satisfaction for employees. And you know, eventually we can learn a lot of things and maybe help inform uh, America how we can improve some of these things. Warren, have you heard from your employees? Yeah, I, I uh, addressed a group of about 130 or so of uh, the various CFOs from all our subs. Uh, just a couple of days ago, and, and they're very interested in the subject. And, and the interesting thing is, as we went around interviewing uh, a large number of prospective CEOs, uh, we didn't run into one that didn't think that uh, improvement was both possible uh, and important. Nobody disagreed with the, the mission, the importance of it, or, or uh, the feasibility, but it's also a very, very tough nut to crack. Haven's initial CEO was Dr. Atul Gawande, New Yorker staff writer and surgeon. You've heard him on this podcast several times. He's an expert in how complicated and tangled the American healthcare system is. It's a maze of doctors, insurers, drug makers. Gawande stepped down as CEO to become chairman this past spring as the COVID-19 pandemic grabbed the day-to-day attention of the medical community. As Haven shutters, most of the firm's 57 employees are expected to be reassigned to Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase. Here's Joe Kernan. Remember W? It's hard. It's hard. Healthcare is hard. It's hard to solve healthcare. I don't care who yeah. you are. I don't care if you're Warren Buffett. Oh, you're Warren talking Buffett. about Haven. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care yeah. if you're Warren Buffett, Jeff. Be- I just hope it's not that... You know what? We lost a couple million dollars here. We better shut this down. Oh, we can't. Oh, those three guys, Diamond. No, I think uh, it was that all three of the companies were kind of doing some of their own things um, that they had taken out of out the lead of this. Story. And, yeah. and, and it is right. a tapeworm that's really tough to, to shut work. down when you're talking about more than 17 percent right. of GDP versus 5 percent back in 1960. Um, Great fanfare, yeah, though, right? Jamie Great Diamond, fanfare. Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos saying, forget it, we right. can't fix this right. problem. And, yeah. I mean, we talked about how many times in the past three years, this was going to be it. This was going to be our problems are over. Right. I talked talked to some people about this on the phone yesterday to try to understand what happened. Uh, And and I think Becky's right. I don't think it was that they shut it down entirely because they were either losing money or something else. No, no, no. I I think in many ways it was it was designed. I don't want to say it was designed to fail, uh, but it was it was it was designed in a very challenging way, which was that the big lesson of this was actually 
insurance is local. These are health systems are local and trying to do it on a national basis uh, with with employees in all different types of localities with all kinds of different systems may very well be too hard. I think a lot of the lessons that uh, were learned uh, have been implemented or are being implemented at J.P. Morgan uh, in areas like New York, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, for example. I think you're seeing what Amazon's doing remarkably, actually, uh, in Seattle, their, their program there for employees, which also include uh, warehouse workers, not just, not just executive employees. So I think there are some things that will come out of this, but obviously not, um, not the big headlines that, uh, that, that had been expected uh, three years ago when this began. Yep. All right, let's get I, I will say Amazon has rolled out a lot of different initiatives over right. the last year or two. I was looking at a story yesterday that kind of laid out some of those things. Just the idea of Amazon Health, the, they do it for their employees, as you mentioned, Andrew. And I think they have thoughts of, of selling that to other companies, too. So I, I don't think we're, we're going to see the end of any of these companies or any of these actors trying to get at health care costs, I guess, it's just a question of how you do that. And you're right, it is local. You've got to do this on a local basis. Um, but health care costs are, are not going down. You know, they, they rise faster than inflation. It's a, it's a huge, huge issue, uh, more than 17 percent of GDP. And we do have to continue to try and find a way to tackle this. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.